morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to morning worship at Hillhead. As you know, our Minister Katrina is on leave this week, so we are very grateful to our oh, friend Graham Meeklejohn, who yeah. has uh, come to lead worship well. this morning. Um, He's so easy to get along with, and I could just be myself. I think I've caught it. All righty. <laughs> I managed to spot the tile that had the archers playing in the background. <laughs> well, good morning again. <laughs> um, and good morning, Graham. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, uh, especially at the end of a long, difficult term for you, I am sure, where you would probably just prefer to be having a, a long lie this morning and a bit of a rest. We're very grateful to you. As well as Graham taking part in the service are Jeff, who will lead the Lord's Prayer in Welsh, uh, Katrina H, who will read scripture for us, and Brian, who will lead our prayers for others. Our musician this morning is Paul, and in a moment we'll be lighting our candle. Later in the service, we will share communion, so if you're joining us on Zoom, uh, please remember to have something nearby to eat and drink when we reach that point in the service. Then in family news, uh, as you know, Lilius died peacefully on Thursday morning. Her funeral will take place on Tuesday the 19th of July at 10am in the Harlot Crematorium in East Renfrewshire. Uh, the service will be conducted jointly by Katrina and former principal of the Scottish Baptist College, where Lilius worked for so many years, the Reverend Dr Jim Gordon. There will be a live stream for those of us who would like to join online, and I'll send out an email with all this information, as well as directions to the Harlot and a link to the live stream. So don't worry about trying to remember all these details just now. Um, Please do keep Lilius's family in your prayers. Ken is still in hospital, uh, but he is hoping to return home soon. So please remember Ken and Barbara also. And several of our church family uh, have COVID at the moment. And just to say to you, if you need shopping or a pharmacy run, just give me a shout. That can be easily done. And now some congratulations. Congratulations to Esan, who will graduate BSc Honours this Wednesday. That is a remarkable achievement. But congratulations also to Anis, who has passed our driving test first time, which in my view is also no mean achievement. Next Sunday, we'll be back again in the hotel and on Zoom, and Katrina will also be back with us then. But now, if you have a candle and you want to light it, let's do that now. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Good morning. It's uh, good to be with you today, both here and online. Um, And as we continue our service, let's pray together. Lord God, you are the hope of all who trust you. You are the source of strength for all who serve you. You give wisdom to all who follow you. And you unite through your spirit all who worship you. Grant us the knowledge of your presence throughout today. Fill us with strength and boldness according to your promises, that we might bring comfort to those suffering and that we might confront oppression. We humbly acknowledge our weaknesses and our limitations, but you are with us and have shown us how to live with compassion. Fulfill your purposes and plans and help us be witnesses to your work. Lord God, thank you that in a world of despair, you are our hope. In a world of darkness, you are our light. In a world of sorrow, you are our joy. Help us to share the hope of our hearts with one another. Enable us to give hope to others through your work amongst us. Use us to transform our communities and help us spread your hope to every corner of our world. May our homes, communities, cities and countries flourish by the preaching of your word and the praising of your name. Holy God, our only hope is in you. We thank you for the past, we trust you for today, and we believe for the future, knowing that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heed with you. Ain't hard, or who knew it in a nevoid? Sanctadier de Enu. Dile de Dernas, Gunilir de Wilis, Megis in a nave, Vethier they are heavied. De Roini have you ain't barra by Nadiol. A mother in ye ain't de ledion, Velma the unina in de ledweer. A knacker wine e brovedi gaith, Ether quared ni rag droop. Can he say the tear Dernas are near Thargogonyant? An oisoisoid. Amen.
Our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, starting at chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth, including all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all consolation, who consoles us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to console those who are in any affliction with the consolation with which we ourselves are consoled by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. If we are being afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. If we are being consoled, it is for your consolation which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we are also suffering. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our consolation. Good morning again. Uh, I've got to say that uh, this week, as I was thinking about what to share, I've been quite uninspired. Um, it's not really the thing that you want to hear at the beginning of a time of sharing that the person speaking has been uninspired. Um, but I, I hope that I can be honest with you, and I hope that what I share is actually something of an honest reflection on that um, kind of feeling that I've had. And I don't think it's been a lack of ideas either. Um, there's a lot of issues that I could have reflected on. Um, there's a lot going on in the world that I could have decided to, to speak on. But in some way, it's not been for a lack of ideas, but almost, I think, for too much going on. Um, I, I think there's a feeling that we're all quite overwhelmed at the moment. Um, there's just so much that we could think about that finding the space for clarity, finding any kind of space to reflect and, and actually think about and process what's going on in the world is quite difficult. And I don't think I'm alone in this. Um, I was reading a, a news article, in some ways ironically a news article, because it was saying that more and more people are disengaging with the news, that over the past kind of year or so, the numbers of people reading the news, listening to the news, um, ha has tailed off because people are finding that when they engage with the news, they're feeling overwhelmed, that it's raising their anxiety, whether that's um, hearing about coming out of the pandemic, whether it's about the war in Ukraine, whether it's cost of living, whether it's the lack of um, progress being made on climate change, 
there are just so many issues that I think are crowding in on us that we find this sort of sense of being overwhelmed. Um, I had cause to reflect on 50 years ago. It's my parents' golden wedding anniversary today, in fact. I have remembered to text them. Um, but they're celebrating their 50th uh, wedding anniversary today. And so we were thinking about 1972, the year that they got married, and what it was like in that year. It was notable for Rangers winning the European Cup, but perhaps we shouldn't dwell on that too much. Um, but it was also in the latter stages of the Vietnam War, one of the first wars to be mass consumed by general public, thanks to um, advances in technology and media reporting. It was also the year that the Watergate scandal broke. Um, and also, it wasn't that long after Martin Luther King had headed up civil rights and the world was still kind of wrestling with what to do with civil rights. And I was thinking, you know, some things have changed, but other things don't change. We're still in the middle of a conflict that the world is watching very closely. Um, there's still the political and legal institutions that are doing, are doing things that they shouldn't do and aren't doing the things that they should do. Um, and, you know, we're still wrestling with civil rights and protecting um, important human rights. Uh, and in some ways I was thinking that, is the world getting any better? I'm not sure that it is, but is the world getting any worse? I'm not sure that it is either. We're, we're kind of almost in this limbo state between um, sometimes uh, humanity giving us moments of hopes and sometimes humanity um, doing things that are detrimental to creation and to, to one another. And there's actually some kind of almost theological precedent for this idea that we're in a limbo state somewhere between Christ's death, his resurrection and ascension, and Christ's return. That as humans, we are neither um, the ones who are able to bring about the world to be a, a utopia. There, there is no way that in our own strength and our own doing that we can make the world a perfect place. We can't make it, we can't progressively make the world better to the point that it's perfect. But neither are we the ones that are, are ultimately in control of the destiny of creation. Yes, at times we might do things that are detrimental, but we are not the ones that are going to be calling a time on the end of creation. All of that belongs to God, both the perfection of creation, the ultimate redemption of creation, and the ultimate completion of creation. And so we're kind of in this limbo state of sometimes doing things that give us uh, hope and sometimes... Um, doing things that are detrimental to creation as we wait for this final consummation in Christ. But as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that doesn't really give us a sense of hope. It's not that I don't believe that to be true. It's not that I don't think that it's important that we believe that Christ is coming again. But in our present sufferings, in where we are today, to kind of say that our hope lies somewhere in the future isn't actually all that comforting. I, I, I suppose it's kind of saying if you're in the middle of a war, as some people literally are, if you're, if you're dodging bullets while people around you are dying and someone comes to you and says, don't worry, at a time in the future it's all going to be fine, you're going to turn around and say, yes, but how does that help me here and now? If you're grieving this morning and you're dealing with sadness and loneliness and someone says, well, don't worry, at a time in the future, there'll be no more death. Saying, but how does that help me with what I'm wrestling with today, with how I'm feeling today? Or if you're struggling with illness and the, the fear that that might be bringing, the uncertainty that that can bring. If someone says, well, at a time in the future, there'll be healing for everyone. You say, but how does that help me today? This idea that we place our hope only in some kind of far off future distant event just seems to be somewhat inadequate to the present suffering that we're going through today. And so I want to reflect a little bit more about what might be a source of encouragement for us here and now. And I want to make a distinction between the idea of hope and encouragement. And it's not supposed to be some grand, insightful biblical exegesis in this passage, more a normative idea of hope 
when we talk about hope, we kind of think about it as a far-off event or as a distant event. Yes, it might be sure. Yes, it might be a certain hope, but it's still to come. Contrast that with encouragement, which is very much something that we do in the present time, that we encourage someone in the here and now. And in the passage that we read from 2 Corinthians, Paul links the idea of suffering with encouragement. And that's what I want to think about a little bit more using this passage today. Is there something in that passage that can give us some kind of hope, some kind of comfort for where we find ourselves in our present sufferings today? As we think about this passage in 2 Corinthians, there's a couple of things that I guess I want to clarify with it. Um, Paul talks about the idea that suffering produces within us um, something like empathy or compassion, that, it help, that our suffering, as we go through suffering, we then can help others who are going through the suffering. And in some ways, this is quite a common approach to, to suffering. And what I want to say is that I don't think Paul was meaning that God brings about the suffering in order that it makes us better people in some way, that it helps form us or shapes us to be compassionate people. I think what Paul was more saying is that it's a byproduct, that if suffering is inevitable, if suffering is something that happens just by being a human, by living in this world, then almost as a byproduct, it helps us to give us the experience to, to help others who are also suffering. I don't think he was trying to make some kind of statement as if God makes us suffer in order to become better people or in order to grow us in some way. There is some maybe limited experience where that is true as a byproduct, but when you kind of put it on a bigger scale, we can't really say that the suffering of war, that God brings war to help those who are caught up in war become better people. It just makes no logical sense. So I don't think Paul here was making that statement that this suffering that they were going through was brought on by God to, to help them become better people in some way. I think he was only what he was saying was that it was, it was a byproduct um, that, that we become compassionate, that we have an empathy because we've experienced something similar. The other kind of um, clarification I guess I want to give in this passage um, is that Paul isn't entirely clear about what his source of comfort is, at least in the section that we read this morning. Um, I think if Paul was submitting this as an essay, I might fail him because he doesn't really justify um, his claims and he doesn't really develop um, the consequences of it. He kind of states very clearly that yes, God is a God of compassion and he is a God of comfort, but he doesn't really justify the sense of why he comes to that conclusion. It's not really until we um, get to verses kind of nine and onwards that we, we learn a bit more about that. And that's what I really want to um, unpick a bit more this morning. What is Paul saying here in this passage that he thinks uh, is the source of comfort and the source of compassion? Um, and it's a thing that he, he, um, he, when he, when he gets to verse nine, at least, Paul starts to talk about feeling like he was under the sentence of death um, and that he then finds his comfort in a God who raises those from the dead. And I think Paul was probably feeling um, both a sense of, of the literal threat of death under persecution, but also if you read the passage, it seems to build up a, a sense of, of that kind of feeling of being overwhelmed with the circumstances. And he points to the God who raises from the dead. And the interesting thing I think about this language of life and death in Paul is that sometimes it's a kind of literal sense um, or a normative sense of life and death. And other times he uses it a little bit more figuratively. And death kind of means something like um, meaninglessness or emptiness or tending towards non-existence. Um, whereas uh, life means something like fullness, purpose, meaning and ultimately being reconciled to the God of all life, the source of life. And so if Paul can kind of say something along the lines of, though we might be living in the normative sense, uh, breathing present here, we can be dead in our sins. We can still have a sense of being alive, 
but dead in our sins to a sense of emptiness and lacking purpose. And conversely, I think he can say something like, even though we might norm in the normative sense be dead and, and not present, we can be alive in Christ, that we have found our fullness and our purpose in being reconciled to the God, the source of all life. And so this is why we get the idea in Philippians where he says, you know, he, he almost says something like, it doesn't matter whether, I, whether I'm alive or whether I'm dead, as long as I am in Christ. He says, if I'm alive, then I'm an encouragement to you in the present. If I'm dead, then I'm united with Christ, and that is to my gain. And he kind of, his, his whole idea is that regardless of his circumstances, if he's in Christ, then he is alive. Then he's tending towards purpose and meaning and life. And so it's this idea that God can be a comfort to us in all our circumstances, even at the extremes of life and death, God is still a comfort because we are united in Christ to God, the source of all life, the source of meaning, purpose, uh, and fullness. Now, why do I think that's important? Why do I think kind of unpicking this idea of um, the source of comfort for Paul in this passage is important? Well, I think for at least two reasons. One, I think it helps us understand that God is more than our present sufferings. And secondly, I think it helps us to really grasp the fact that God is a God of compassion and of comfort. In terms of that first idea that God is more than our present suffering, in recent years and decades, there's been an idea developed that on the cross, um, God God suffered in Christ and therefore became a co-sufferer with us, knows what it is to suffer, identifies with our suffering, and that can be a source of comfort for us. And I think there's an element of truth within that. But actually, as, as I've reflected on it, I don't think God suddenly learned compassion on the cross. You know, you look back into the Old Testament and you've got um, God hearing the cries of his people in Egypt and responding in compassion and acting um, back in the, right back at the beginning of the story in some ways. And then in, in Lamentations, um, Lamentations 3, we've got it here that says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I don't think there's ever been a doubt that God was compassionate or a God of comfort. I think what we see on the cross, though, is yes, God being present with us in our sufferings, but more than that, in his resurrection, going through the suffering, enduring the suffering, and coming out the other side of the suffering, and recognizing that God is more than our present suffering. And I think that's important because I don't think that we want a God that stays in that place of suffering, that is bound to the kind of emptiness and meaninglessness of suffering, but I think we want to hold on to the idea that God is more than our suffering, that he comes through the suffering, that in his resurrection, we recognize that there is an end point to the suffering and that God has endured the suffering to the other side. And I think that should bring us a sense of comfort, that God isn't bound by the meaninglessness um, and the emptiness of suffering, but in his resurrection goes through the suffering to the other side. And this in some ways I think is what is important when we think about God being a God of comfort and a God of compassion. That, um, that we know that suffering takes place, but we know that in God we can get through the suffering. Paul talks about um, being united with Christ in his sufferings, but also being united in the comfort of the 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 hope of the resurrection. And I think Paul il illustrates this well by using the word endurance. Um, to me, endurance is, is something that happens very much in the present moment. It's not this far off hope that we were talking about earlier, but endurance is something that helps us in the present moment. And Paul says that we can learn from, from Christ and the resurrection to be people of endurance, that we endure the suffering. And because we know that Christ got through the suffering to the other side, so too that can help us 
to encourage us to be people of endurance, to know that, yes, suffering is difficult and suffering happens, but that in Christ we can find the strength to endure the suffering. And I think Paul illustrates this well as in the passage by saying that, um, yes, we take the model from Christ who endured suffering to get through to the other side of the suffering, but also that we don't do it alone. This is just as we learn from Christ's suffering for ourselves, we also can encourage one another um, to help one another through the suffering. And he says we don't suffer alone in that sense. And I think that's a real key part of this passage is that the, the, the encouragement that we get from Christ's example is not just for us as individuals, but for us as a community that we support one another through the encouragement to the other side. And so I think it's, it's good to both recognize God as a God of compassion who is with us in the suffering and a God of comfort who goes through the suffering with us and draws us out the other side. Now, in all of this, it might sound a little triumphalistic as if I'm playing down that suffering is easy to get through or that suffering and somehow diminishes. And I don't mean that at all. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here and I don't think, and that's not what I'm trying to say this morning. At times we just need to accept or, or at least realise that suffering is what it is. It's difficult. It's hard. We all go through it. In some ways it's, it's not going to disappear. If we're grieving this morning, we're still going to be grieving this afternoon. If we're hurting this morning, we're still going to be hurting this afternoon. God doesn't suddenly wipe out the, the pain and the suffering that we're going through. But what I think this does help us to see is that in our present situations, God is both with us and walks us through. Even when it is difficult, God is that comfort with us. And not only is God a comfort with us, but if we really take to heart this passage, then we are to be people of encouragement for one another. And sometimes I think that encouragement is sitting alongside someone, being present with them, listening to them in their pain and their sadness. Sometimes I think, though, that that encouragement um, is to be an ally against the suffering, against the oppression, and to be a loud voice to speak into the suffering of others, to overcome that suffering. I think encouragement can look like many different forms, but that's the important thing. We don't do it alone. We sit with one, we sit with people, perhaps in silence, accompanying them through their suffering until we can get through to the other side. Sometimes it looks very much like confronting the oppression until that suffering is dissipated. But it's not that we just have this hope far off in the future. We don't just have this hope of the resurrection, of the ultimate consummation of creation, but actually we have a God of compassion and a God of comfort for the here and now. That as we go through suffering, we learn that empathy, we learn that compassion to help one another and support one another through our suffering till we get to the other side. So no means am I meaning it to be triumphalistic, playing down the difficultness and the pain of suffering. But rather I want to have a note of encouragement that God is not only with us in our suffering, but helps to take us through the suffering and supports us and comforts us in that place of suffering.
we have just sung a hymn based on the words written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian. He wrote those words on New Year's Day in 1945. He was in prison then for his part in the plot to assassinate Hitler. A few months later, shortly before the war in Europe ended, he was executed. These were dark days. Bonhoeffer expressed hope. Now we are living in times of uncertainty and darkness that we thought would never return. And so we bring our prayers of hope for others and for ourselves. We listen for God. Let us pray. We name and we bring before God the lived experience of humankind in these days. We see people killing each other in ways which brutalise the whole of humanity. We watch pointless acts of destruction that achieve nothing except brutal moments of power over others. We see millions struggling with extreme heat. We see others struggling in cold and homelessness, in hunger and fear. We know that the actions of humankind, our actions, are the cause of much of this. We admit before God that we can find it hard to see the signs of hope around us. It can seem that death is more powerful than life, greed more common than generosity, self-interest more common than seeing the needs of others. And yet, deep inside, we know that the reverse is true that good has a power which overcomes evil. We will pause again to rediscover the fragile signs of hope that we see among us. And we will reaffirm that each of us, as followers of Jesus, can give life to that hope. And so we will proceed on the assumption that love is stronger than hate that life-giving things are more powerful than the things that are deathly and that there are more signs of this than we have ever paused to notice. All around the world, there are people like us, many living in much harder places in their lives. And so in our prayers for the world this morning, we join our longings of hope with theirs in a brief moment of silence. We remember the work of BMS World Mission, which this week has a global focus. This week is the annual gathering of the Baptist, uh, this week as the annual gathering of the Baptist World Alliance draws near, we are encouraged to give thanks for BMS Global Partners Baptist Partnerships and to pray that we will all listen well to the voice of the global church. We are encouraged to give thanks for BMS workers and partners serving in some of the most marginalized places on the planet and amongst people who are displaced from their homeland. We are encouraged to pray for BMS participation in co-supporting co mission workers from the global south to other areas of the world, that more people will know the love of God through this work. And for our own Baptist Union in, here in Scotland, the prayer rota this week encourages, encourages us to remember Glenn Innes, who is the future church lead within the union, and also our sister Baptist, sister Baptist churches at Granton and Spey, 
Greenock and Hamilton. And for ourselves here in Hillhead, our prayer rota this week encourages us to remember our worship group and musicians, Jean R., Sylvia and Norman, Ailey, John, Owen and Ethan, Joan R., Margaret S., Mary and Ian, Betty, Graham, Ali and family, Lena and George. And again this morning, we remember the family of Lilius and in particular her children, Norman, Val, Carolyn and Pam. For our Hillhead Baptist community as a whole, we give thanks for each other and for the times when we find inspiration in each other. We aspire to be a community of hope in hard times. May we support and encourage each other in this mission. Amen. time of communion together. I just want to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 11 um, verses 23 onwards. It says, For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In communion, we are not only remembering Christ's death, but we're also remembering his resurrection. We're not only remembering his suffering and his humanity, but we're remembering his resurrection through God's power. And there's something, I think, as I was reading these words that struck me about proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. This is an act that we do regularly in the here and now in the present to remind us of something that is to come. And in some ways, hopefully that's reflective of what I was trying to say this morning, that yes, we have a hope in the future, a far off hope of the ultimate resurrection that we will be part of. But in the here and now, in every day, we also participate in acts of encouragement, of comfort and compassion, things that we do regularly in light of what is to come 
in the future. So as we take the bread and wine this morning, um, let us remember both the suffering in Christ's humanity, but the resurrection through God's power. Let us eat the bread together and then in your own time, drink the wine. service today just a very short blessing and benediction taken from Romans 15 verse 13 Paul's just outlined how we ought to live together in harmony in the body of Christ and he rounds off the section by reminding us that the root of this unity is Christ and he continues with these words as our benediction today may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Amen.